This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Okay, okay, okay. I know. I do not ever do an introduction for the Roundup, but today's Roundup is different. There's so much happening on this Roundup, so much news, so much new things, great big horizons that are in front of us that I wanted to do a little bit of an introduction. We have Mark Hall on the Roundup today. There's no Cody, so please feel free to text him. You'll get the text number uh, during the Roundup. Feel free to text him and say you love him and you miss him and you want him back. But today's Roundup, we announce that we are spinning this Roundup podcast off of the main podcast into its own separate podcast called The Roundup. And The Roundup is going to have this podcast. It's also going to have a, a, a podcast out of Canada called The Round Canada Podcast. So that's a big news thing. Secondly, we are officially expanding our footprint around the world and establishing Blood Origins Canada. And that's the reason why Mark Hall is on to discuss that. And tomorrow, Blood Origins Canada becomes official. Very excited about that. And then we have another podcast coming called The Short Truths. It may come in a couple of weeks in which we just answer the questions that you guys pose to us every single day. And it's going to be a very unique podcast because we're only going to take five minutes of your time. Every podcast is going to be five minutes or less in length. And you're going to get a question and an answer. And you'll be walking away with its kernel seed of information that you can use in your daily lives in having conversations with people and friends about a topic, uh, engaging on social media about a topic, and really just fortifying your intelligence around that topic. So enjoy the roundup. We're sorry we haven't had one in a while, but we're back and we're excited to be back. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me 
you said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So yeah, so you just were, freaking... You were kind of scaring me because I thought this was going to be like a story about a damaged box and oh, a gosh. piece no, of artwork well, that was... Well, the artwork is certainly valuable, if not priceless, because it's only one made. And he sent the original that we're going to give away at the Conservation One event in November. And um, yeah... And the prints, there's, the prints are, you can, we can redo the prints, but you can't redo the original. <laughs> so, so anyway, we, so the interesting, in France. The interesting thing about that, because I'm also an artist and, and I used to do a tremendous amount of wildlife paintings, is way back when, when they developed the technology to make prints from artists' work, they would run a limited edition series. We've heard all of that, right? Yeah. The yep. reason they were valuable is because after the initial limited edition run was made, the original was destroyed. The artist's original artwork was destroyed. And that's why it was limited prints and they were incredibly valuable because there was no way of doing a second run or a third run. Who destroyed the original? Was it the uh, the artist himself? Probably, probably the either the artist did or the printer did once. You know, because because there's artist proof, so the artists they still to this day, the artist will come into the printing studio and they will inspect like the first prints coming off mm. um, to give them the artist proof to say colors are good, everything's lining up. They'll sign them as. It's usually about 10%, I think, of your edition run. They'll sign right. as APs, artist proofs. They're usually a bit more valuable. Um, and then I think the original you, was man. destroyed. I, I couldn't imagine Mark doing Cole, that. Mark artist, artist person. Who knew, man? Multi-talented individual. Yeah, I just, man, I just, I can't sit there for the hours and weeks and months on the canvas like I used to. I, uh, uh, I was busy this winter, but I got all set to kind of get back into it where I wanted to start doing like little pieces of artwork, like quite small. Um, cause the stuff I used to do was like really large <laughs> and spend years and months and stuff working on pieces. So what was I'm your like, medium of, of artwork? Was it oils or charcoals or pencil? What was uh, it? It was acrylic paints. So the water-based version of the oils. So uh, growing up as a kid, art was my thing, and um, mm. Robert Bateman was kind of the the artist that came onto the st stage to set wildlife as a legitimate form of art. It was never accepted in the art world before wildlife. It was always considered uh, like any wildlife art was considered like a like a technical thing, like botanical drawings and stuff. That's how the the snobbery of the art world saw wildlife art and Robert Bateman was one of the, the pioneers that said, this is art. 
And, um, and yeah, I just gravitated to him as a kid. Unfortunately, I got to the point where I was, it, it was hard to do paintings because anything that I experienced that I wanted to put on a canvas, I, I started to realize that I was seeing nature through the eyes of Robert Bateman. His work was that inf influential. Oh, uh, okay. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm not finding myself in this. I'm... No, no original, you didn't have your original thought. Yeah. And, and that bothered me a lot a as an artist. And, and when I got into the podcasting um, world, I, I remembered that lesson. And so I started out listening to some other podcasts um, to see how the podcast hosts interacted, how they ran the show, um, you know, how they engaged their listeners through this medium. And then I stopped and it was like, I've learned some lessons from these podcasters, but I have to stop listening to podcasts because I do not want that to happen to me as a podcaster. Hey. I'm going to go out and make my own mistakes, um, and, and find my own voice. But I, so I, I, I don't listen to a lot even to this day because I don't want to be, uh, influenced either on the topic, the perspective on the topic or the way of being a podcast host. So, well, maybe we, we should take that advice a step further to talking heads, Mark. Yes. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe. A yeah, no, I, I think it's a good doing. idea. Like, I, uh. Oh, Create I'm, your own feel, your own like vibe, your own like. This absolutely. is how I do it, kind of thing, you know. No, I think I think that's a wise a wise piece of advice because that is a piece of what I do in this job um, that I've been searching to find myself in a mm. like a visual like where it's like, well, you're looking at me and you're like, stop staring at me, like I'm, you know, I'm providing <laughs> this information, right? And. uh and and find something that that is me that that, that does that does work. So I'll work. Well, on Mark that. Hall, welcome to the Blood Origins Roundup podcast. Uh, one of the f uh, we got a lot of things to discuss. We got a lot of exciting items to uh, reveal to the world. Mm -hmm. This will go out July thirty first, Monday, July thirty first, the day before. You know, is it too dramatic that the world shifts? August the 1st? Yeah. Too dramatic? Our, our world shifts. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think everybody else's does too, so. Um, this will probably be the last time that we, no, maybe the last, not the last time. We'll probably do a couple more before we, we migrate over, but we'll let everyone know that we are starting up another podcast um, in which we're spinning this roundup out of the podcast. And sort of standing it by itself, called the Roundup. Pretty, um, you know, intuitive. Um, not very creative. We'll just call it the Roundup, and uh, this will be a Roundup that comes out uh, hopefully, you know, once or twice a week. Hopefully, twice a week. Um, one that is that one that you're familiar with. Listening to this one. Uh, Cody, I texted Cody, Cody texted back, oh, about 10 minutes ago saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the mountains of Utah. So everyone who is, uh, missing Cody, like I am, please feel free to text Cody 
and let him know, you know, what you think about him being uh, missing from the Blood Origins podcast. I will get the text number for you very quickly. And uh, the text number is... Dum, 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 dum. 620-860-4804. Text 620-860-4804. And just tell Cody that you love him. Tell him that uh, you miss him. Tell him that uh, you want him back on the podcast. I will reiterate the text message line at the end of this podcast so that uh, you can do it again. And again, feel free to text that. Uh, text us anything you want, any questions, any news articles, anything that we think we should be doing. Um, but that's not the only roundup that we will have as a part of the Roundup podcast, the new Roundup podcast. Right, Mark? Yeah. Or, or blending. Blending. The Round Canada podcast will come up under the Roundup podcast. And so you'll get a Roundup from all around the world, essentially Cody and I and whoever guest, a guest that we include. And then we'll have the Round Canada podcast. What, what, what days do you typically drop the Round Canada podcast? We haven't even discussed this. Like Wednesdays, Thursdays, Tuesdays, it's, uh, Fridays? It's, it's usually when, when episodes are ready and I try to target two times a month. Oh, cool. So, so that, that I may be able to change depending on hunting yeah. season, whether I'm in the studio or not. Cause, um, cause usually, uh, like the Roundup Canada, uh, podcasts have like some, sometimes they're action packed. Like there's up to a dozen stories trending across Jeez. the country and I, I hit Amazing. On, on all of those. So, um, and it all depends on what's going on in the world. Like sometimes you got a lot to work with and there's a lot to cover. Uh, Agreed. You can break it up into four episodes. Other times it's like snow, slow news week, so to speak. So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's fewer, fewer trending stories to cover, but. Um, Do you have a guest typically that joins you on the Round Canada or is not, it just you and Curtis? Not always. Um, I would probably say 90% of the Round Canada podcast episodes are, are me. It's, uh, um, I'm given updates on stuff that's happening across the country. Uh, the op-ed, you know, kind of my take on, on those stories and, and continuing to, uh, thread the needle and, and the string and weaving them through stories month after month, year after year. I think that is the part of the show that I love is to find mm. these recurring themes and these threads that are happening from the East Coast to the West Coast to the Arctic and just kind of like, hey, you know, this is like the fourth story in two years where this same theme is happening. I, I really mm. get a lot out of that. And then occasionally I use that show to go, this is a hot topic, uh, Bill C-21, gun control, here's a firearm policy, um, expert guy, hey, are you available tomorrow to do a show and tell us what's going on bang so then the show happens and i, ha I have a guest on so there's cool. no rules in this podcast no there's so. not that's the beautiful thing about the roundup it's like you can do whatever you want talk about whatever you want if there's news current news old news you know something piqued your interest you want to discuss um that's the beautiful thing about the roundup that it's sort of a free-flowing format um and so people are thinking like, well, what the heck's going on, man? You're pulling the Roundup out. Round Canada is joining. Um, 
Though we actually have been talking a lot, Mark and I have been talking a lot over the last six months to eight months, um, and sort of really talking talking through this idea of joining forces and sort of amplifying voices, amplifying the power of what we do and how we do it. And uh, it made sense to sort of join each, join at the hip, essentially. And uh, the hunter conservationist in Canada, dare I say in Canada, it's on social media, but focusing on Canada specifically, uh, will become our first. We've had affiliates. We've had Blood Origins affiliates. We have Blood Origins Australia. We have Blood Origins Spain. We have Blood Origins Finland. But those are closed Facebook groups uh, that we use to sort of pump content into that we can expose people to more Blood Origins content. But really didn't have it. It has some admins, some volunteer people that that really help us um, run the page, which is meaning just approving posts, essentially, and approving members. But we've never really had a director of uh, a Blood Origins, you know, affiliate. Let me say that. Someone who's like, I've already got an established voice. I've already got an established um, audience, knows their game, is intelligent enough to have conversations, is rational enough to engage in conversations, is not going to, you know, be brash or all the things that. Blood Origins is. And Mark, and, and what you've built at Hunter Conservations is it. So Blood Origins Canada, here we go. Here we come. That's exciting. It's, it's, uh, it's such a huge honor and it's such a huge... Um, I'm just excited to be here because this has been a long time since January uh, of... Um, you know, going through all of the steps and the discussions and stuff. And there's, there's a lot more to it than just like, Hey, you want to, you know, okay, there you go. Kind of thing. <laughs> like it's, it's, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty involved. Uh, it was very businesslike, uh, you know, what we do is, is, you know, hunting and conservation, but this is a business, uh, as well. And, um, so yeah, it took, it, it was a lot of steps to get here. So I'm excited to actually hear those words come out of your mouth on a podcast, knowing that a whole bunch of people are, are going to hear it. Yeah. yeah. And tomorrow and tomorrow there'll be a post. Um, there'll be a collaborated post between blood origins on Instagram and blood origins, Canada on Instagram, uh, which will be quite, um, amazing. Um, and so, yeah, this is us letting everyone know in the world know that we're expanding, uh, our voice is growing, our, our voice is amplifying. And we're doing that through Mark and the Hunter Conservationist. Uh, Mark, you have an additional podcast called The Hunter Conservationist. That will remain The Hunter Conservationist, but it'll come under the umbrella of the Blood Origins podcast series. Yes. So essentially, we'll have three podcasts um, representing Blood Origins. And then if I can get my ducks in a row, uh, I did see the artwork. I'll show you the artwork for episode one of Short Truths. Nobody can see this because this is an audio, an audio medium, not a visual medium. But let me show you, Mark, the podcast that we're coming out with. It, the probably towards the end of the month is called Short Truths. And this is Short Truths number one. Cool. 
And it's a picture, and the question on the front of it says, do hunters purposely seek violence? And we answer that question in five minutes. I think I showed you an initial one of that, didn't I? Of the, that one no, specifically, I, I did. No, I, think I don't I did. think so. It was, I, don't, I don't recall um, that, yeah. Uh, I, I showed a couple. I let, I let a couple of people listen to it. And there was a piece that just didn't fit anyway. So it doesn't matter. It's coming. The short truths are coming. And the beautiful thing about the short truths is a podcast that is going to be less than five minutes in length. And so we're working with the, uh, the team over at Megaphone and Waypoint to figure out how we do advertising for a podcast that is five minutes in length. Because I do not want the advertising to be more than the show, more than the show itself. <laughs> So maybe one 30-second ad, and then we roll. And uh, yeah, we've got, I think I've got seven in the bank already. Eight in the bank, and then I've got a couple of other questions. So if anybody has any questions out there that they want to ask us, and the reason for the short truths, let me explain the reason for the short truths, is that we get asked a lot of questions. Mark, you probably get asked a ton of questions every single day mess in, in all the formats that you engage in, right? Oh, ab absolutely. That's it's one of my favorite parts of what we do is talking directly to the people who we're doing this for to make a difference mm -hmm. uh, in their lives so, so they don't have to. So I, I love, I love hearing all that stuff. hundred percent. And it, the sort of idea came to me is like, why do not, why don't we share those answers with everyone? You know, this person may be asking like, do you think long range shooting is ethical? And I have a response. I have an opinion. It's formed by whether it's formed by an experience or fact or science or whatever. Here it is. And it's just a good way to put it out there for someone to like, oh, okay, now I know how to answer that. Or I know how I would frame maybe a better answer for myself. Or I never really knew it, realized the, the yeah, leopard population in Namibia. Oh, they've just had a recent survey. Oh, the survey's the same as it was 10 years ago. Okay. Good to know. It, it's a... It's a really exciting thing to put that information in the hands of our followers. Um, our followers have always told us that they, they love the infographics. So you've got this short little infographic, bit of text, some numbers, uh, it tells a story and it becomes uh, it, it becomes uh, something they can take away and succinctly communicate or pass on. Or I have people say, Hey, can I show, can I give this to my family and friends and that sort of thing? And like, absolutely. And I, f I feel really good when people want to use this stuff to engage in their own discussions, because in, in the, on the other side of the fence, the segment of society in the world that doesn't like what we do and wants to stop what we do. They're actually, I find they're really, really good at condensing down information, air quotes on their facts, and getting it into the hands of their followers who can then um, regurgitate that gospel out to even more people. They're, it's just something they're very, very good at. They're good mm -hmm. at campaigning. They're good at getting in the newsrooms. They're good at getting... Um, you know, raising funds, but fundamentally they're very good at putting these little blips of information into their listeners who can then, you know, two people, two people, two people, so on. So 
I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm excited that, uh, that you're doing that because I, that sounds exactly, uh, the types of things that we need to do is to, to get these short little pieces of information on a single topic, a few sound bites, and then people can easy quickly recall and, and, um, and spread the word, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I'm thinking about also is like, can you even boil it down even simpler to like, okay, here's the, here's the, here's the question, you know, are there truly 40 big tuskers left in Africa? Here's a five minute podcast. But if you need to take like one tidbit of information to move forward, like what is it? Like, here's the line, here's the piece of information, here's the thing that you pick up and, and move forward. So I've got to think about that too. So, so uh, you know, in, in, in you know this, in the world of politics and in the world of business, people lower down that are closer to the information on the ground often get called to provide briefing notes to, to politicians and to senior people and companies who then have to go speak to the public or to the media and they're, they're held accountable. And there's this whole entire process of, of, of boiling this information down who's somebody who's reading it while they're on the airplane or they're in the taxi cab to the forum, then has to step out and, and say this correctly, you know, cause, cause they will be fact checked. The cool thing about doing this for our followers is I feel we're reversing that pyramid. They're not at the bottom. They're not the people that are feeding information up to us and we're disseminating it. We're on the bottom. And, and we're briefing up to all of you, every single one of you, because you're at the top. And, and for me, this is what I do is, is I'm, I'm here to support hunting families and Canadian hunters. And so I feel... I'm accountable to you. I'm, I'm, I'm responsible to get information into your hands, into your head. You can retain this and say it again and not be called for being factually incorrect. Like I feel 100%. personally responsible for that. So, yep. No. And that's why we, we, we thought that you being Blood Origins Canada was perfect. It's exactly where we wanted to go and how we wanted to push forward. Um, it's exciting. Yeah, I, business is going to be the same. You're going to conduct the business the same way, but we're just going to have now this synergy to Blood Origins, you know, getting larger and the footprint getting larger. And, you know, what I'm excited about is that you're the model uh, for this expansion. And now it's like, all right, now we need to find the Mark Hall of Australia and the Mark Hall of New Zealand and the Mark Hall of Spain and of the UK and of Finland and really just start, just start. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully all of the, uh, the trial and error, how do we pull this together? How do we communicate? How do we put pen to paper on these ideas? Uh, the, the, the time and the efficiency to do that for the next one is, is, you know, we were the, we were the pilot, we were the beta test on hundred percent on growing blood origins. So, uh, um, hundred percent, I'm happy to have been part of that too. 100%. No, we're excited. It's good. It's, uh, tomorrow's a big day. Um, talking about news in the news and whatnot, since this is the roundup, we might as well talk about some news that has hit the airways. I didn't send you any articles, so you can't even prep for these. So you're just going to be shooting off the cuff, by the way. Um, 
we have a everyone's been hearing about our documentary, our Lion Houndsman documentary called Lionheart that's coming. I've seen three or four drafts of it. I should be getting a fully corrected, color graded version of it this weekend. And we have got our politics in play right now, hopefully to submit it to Sundance, which will be pretty amazing. Um, and uh, anyway, Lionheart is coming out. It's about Lion Houndsman. It's about their relationship with their dogs. And there was an article um, that said, South Dakota hound hunters seek more. I might as well send this to you as I'm talking. Mark? Oh, you saw that? Yeah, more hunting opportunities, but uh, more hunting opportunities for houndsmen. Because right now in South Dakota, the only way to draw um, a tag is in Custer State Park. And these guys are saying it's taking 10, 20, 30 years to draw this lion hounding, this lion hunt tag. And if you have your own hounds and you really want to do it in your own state of South Dakota, it's almost getting close to impossible for these guys to do it. So is there other areas in the state that they could go as well and then they're trying to draw a covenant tag or is this like this is this is the only game in town for for houndsmen hounds people the and in the article it says the use of hounds during a mountain lion hunt is legal but currently only limited to custer state park okay of which you would have to so, draw a permit. And so you have to draw hound hunters said even with these permissions the ability to draw a tag is extremely limited so the commissioners are talking about expanding the opportunity. Uh, and again, this is the perfect kind of article that lays the foundation to say, okay, well, how do we, how can I, how can Blood Origins get Lionheart in front of the commissioners, the South Dakota oh, Fish Commissioners? You know, how can we, how can we help in this, this idea of expanding hunting opportunities with this piece of narrative that we've just created that shows like, look, this is who they are. Yeah. The true houndsmen, this is who they are. Yeah, because if the limitation on hound hunters in the state is because of perceptions, misperceptions about what the hunting is about, then this is exciting because a Blood Origins film becomes more than just entertainment, it actually becomes a tool to advance what we're about, which is to, yep. to you know, per tell the truth, but ultimately keep hunting in people's families and the opportunities there. So, so this is, this is exciting because I'm a science guy. It's like, we're, we're crossing the line from, from entertainment to where the documentaries and the podcasts and, and we've been fortunate to, to have got that feedback with the podcast as well, is they're becoming data points for decision makers or, or considerations in statutory decisions, which I think is exciting. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we want to push information out that sways policy. That's the ultimate, right? Because policy drives everything. Regulations drive everything. So if you can create content and show truth that sways policy, i.e. in South Dakota, sways policy in a, in a direction that gives more houndsmen opportunities, then geez, that's, that's it. You've reached the pinnacle. That's the cherry on the ice cream sundae that you've been eating. 
Yeah. No, it's like I saw the post, the story. I didn't get a chance to read it before we came on. So the first things that come, because I'm shooting from the hip, so I'm going to be rational <laughs> about, I'm going to be rational about my thinking is what are the factors? What are the causes that have limited opportunity for houndsmen mm, in the that state? That is a great question. It's a great question. So I have no idea. In, in my world, actually coming from a field of, of analytical problem solving, we solve problems by defining what the problem is and then understanding what causes the problem and our solutions control causes of the problem. So if it's a perception issue, it's going, oh, this is not an ethical form of hunting in the state and people don't want, they don't understand it. So it's just best to limit them to one area and, and a few permits. Then the solution is people have to understand who these hunters are. They're good people. Um, if it's because there's areas where there's been too many conflicts of hound dogs going onto private land or agriculture operations or something, okay, then the solution becomes different because the causes are different. So, so that would be kind of where I would want to dig in is what mm -hmm. has happened historically in the States to, in that state to cut back on, on houndsman hunter, hunter opportunity and are the right fixes being put in place for them? Yeah, so that's an interesting, understanding like why, what the cause of that is. I sent a text message into myself to go to people saying, you know, why can you only hunt lions with hounds in Custer State Park in South Dakota, not anywhere else in the state? So good question. I'm just, I'm reading the article now that you sent it to me and here's an interesting one. Houndsman said most of the time the available tags are pulled by hunters who do not own hounds. And that's the thing. That's, so that's the point, right? It's the people who have, have dedicated to create their own hounds pack that can't draw the tag, but they want to. And then they, they want to phone use... calls. Well, no, yeah, no, it doesn't tag, sound like they're outfitters. Out? No, it doesn't sound like they're outfitters. It sounds like they're... No, just, just somebody like, hey, my neighbor's got hound dogs yeah. and I drew the tag. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? Would you mind taking me out this fall? Seeing as how you... Yeah, exactly. Hounds and I don't. Exactly. Huh, interesting. Anyway, good one, good one. Here's another one. Uh, so we'll go across. We'll, go, we'll let's just we'll stay in North America for now, and then we'll go we'll go international. Uh, Colorado, Colorado becoming. I'll put money on the fact Colorado becoming next Washington State. We won't get down. We won't go down the rabbit hole of Washington State throwing the North American wildlife model out with the trash, and the dirty water and the baby that's in the dirty water. Um, but having, having anti-hunters on the, on the Colorado game commission to appointed that... three new members to the state and parks and wildlife commission that have common experience in various aspects of animal welfare. New commissioner, Jess Builio was the manager of the animal law program, at the university of Denver's Sturm college of law. John Jack Murphy runs a nuisance animal response company. Um, and I, when I read that, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. You know? Stresses. Then he says this stresses the non-lethal removal of raccoons, foxes, squirrels, and skunks. And third, retired state wildlife biologist Gary Skiba, again, doesn't sound too bad, of Durango, recently served as director of the La Plata County Humane Society. Three appointments uh, at the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission level. Now, they have 11 people on the commission. 
that's a big commission or 12 people on the commission. I think 12, no, it wouldn't be a, an even number. It'd be an odd number, 11 people on the commission. But not, uh, not your traditional wildlife-focused, wildlife-centric individuals. It's a, uh, it's a sign of the times everywhere. People with other interests are demanding seats at the table. Um, I see it here in Canada. They're getting, they're going political. They're getting into politics, getting elected at, you know, local levels, um, provincial levels, uh, to take their ideologies into, you know, in, into politics. The, the interesting thing about the game commission model, we don't have that. Hmm. So we have, you know, regional round tables and yeah, and, and all of our decisions then from those, those round tables and, you know, public comments and stuff go straight up the line to government. So there's no entity, decisions. so there's no entity in British Columbia that is overseeing wildlife management. Just the government itself and their, and their The federal government or the that, state government. The provincial government. Provincial government. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so as I understand, like, y you know, you would have your, you know, your, your governors and your state elected officials, and then there's this game commission is kind of like a, it's almost like a, uh, at another level of like a municipal government, almost like it's, it, it's this agency that's sitting between the people, uh, stakeholders and users and the upper government levels and, and, and I would say it's, are... it's, it's not between the people. I think commission, the commission level, the, I, I see the commission level as a board level is the level between the governor and the agency that runs wildlife. They sit okay, in okay, that, they're, they're that transition. Like an executive, yeah, like an executive level. Well, mm -hmm. We have that in government to the executive mm -hmm. level, which is so. Does British Columbia have an environment minister then, a state environment yes. minister? Okay. Yeah. So there's you know a minister of environment. There's an, a minister of forests, and there's a minister of lands, and 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 wildlife fall under kind of all all three of those. Hunting itself is regulated by one minister. Um, so where the fish and wildlife branch is in, in one ministry, but wildlife and habitat can fall under, under several other ministers as well. And there's an agency, there's a, a wildlife fisheries agency in British yes. Columbia? Yep. That yep. reports so there's to like the minister. The, the, the fish and wildlife branch, you know, uh, a department, department within, yep. within, within the, the larger ministry. So, you know, for example, like forestry. Uh, maybe in this, like in the same, you know, ministry and managing, uh, cattle ranching, uh, mm -hmm. and hunting would all be part of it, but they would be in their own little, little yeah, separate They'd be little under silos. the same portfolio of the minister, but they would yes. have their own departments. Yep. Yeah. But there okay. is no, there is no board. There is no commission, um, way back in the, you know, the beginning stages in British Columbia, there was a, the BC game commission. Uh, and, and then they kind of went, went away with that model. So, so it's quite a discussion up here. Sometimes it's like, should we, you know, cause it, 
things things in especially in British Columbia and other provinces as well as well they go from like wildlife managers and biologists in government talking with hunters and users and then things go political mm. uh, and then wildlife decisions are being made you know for political reasons like you know the banning of the grizzly bear hunt in British Columbia you know a number of years ago there's no there's no commission level in in between that that's that's this discussing this in, in any mm-hmm. way, shape or form or un, under mandate. And so a lot of, you know, folks up here will say, uh, well, maybe we should have the game commission model like they have in the U S uh, and, and get away from get, get political, the political sphere more at arms, like from wildlife management decisions. Right. So, yeah, it's um, an interesting, but then I'm seeing things like Washington and Colorado where yeah, it's yeah. Like politics are creeping into, uh, who gets appointed to the game commission. So it's like, I'm not sure. If- yeah, but it's always politics. It's not creeping in. To, politics is, is okay. always at play. So I'll use Mississippi as an example. And, and this is a very, I think it's a good example for most wildlife agencies in every state. So the executive director, let's just say the man in charge, because sometimes it's called the executive director, sometimes it's called the commission, the, the commissioner. Um, but the executive director and the commissioner of the state agencies for wildlife fisheries, game and fish, whatever you want to call them, they're, they're different in every state. That individual is politically appointed. He is, that is the governor's purview to decide who he wants in that chair. Then, separate and apart, apart from the executive director, is then a commission which is full of people that help then the executive director and the agencies steer policy and regulations. Those individuals are also elected by the government. So it's all political. It's all fraught with politics, and it's all to the purview of the governor, which again speaks to why your vote matters, because that individual who gets cast in then dictates a large uh, swath of how things get moving and, and shaking across okay. the board, you know, transport to wildlife. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, like our Senate, you know, senators are appointed by the prime minister. So it's like, you know, you can look for people who are going to be allegiant to your party's philosophies and, and, and help vote their bills bills through when they, when they reach the senate so if if a governor gets elected by the 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 sport voters then they're probably going to select people to support that to keep them in office if somebody you know hunters in a state get upended and they put someone in as the governor who's like okay i'm here to cut back on all this hunting stuff that i don't like then they're going to clean house on the commission and put a bunch of people in that are going to support that philosophy or platform. So 100%. That's how it works. Yeah. Well, that's how it works. Um, all right. Last, last article. You actually sent it to me. All the tiger. Let's hunt some tigers in Nepal, Mark. Good news, bad news. What do you think? Is that something that we should even be thinking about? I've, uh, so I've, I've had a chance to formulate this because uh, I saw it coming up a little bit on Twitter 
uh, today and kind of saw some of the some of the takes on it. So this is was this in India or Nepal? So India has a, a burgeoning tiger population, burgeoning human wildlife conflict, but Nepal as well. Okay, so their minister, I guess, recently made an announcement that it's potential they could consider having a hunting season on tigers in these healthy populations. Uh, I, as I remember, something around like, you know, maybe five tags a year. Um, yep. very strictly controlled, very specific individual animals that they, they, w- yep. they would want and that they are to understand, or I'm to understand from the article that the minister's already been approached by hunters elsewhere in the world that have expressed an yep. interest in this healthy population and the number of $25 million for a tiger hunt surfaced in this article and that's kind of that's crazy money though man there's no it is a lot of money absolutely i don't know there may be there may be someone that was that was some of the things that i that i saw on it's not twitter anymore it's x sorry (laughs) on x at uh no, where you been? What? It's not Twitter. You're anymore? always you're always hassling me for not knowing the, the, the latest in technology Are you serious? stuff. Yeah, Elon Musk. I still see Twitter has changed Twitter to X, X.com. The bird's gone. It's a Come on it's now. an X. Come on now. The bird's still there. It's on Twitter. It. Uh, I'm seeing. I'm still on Twitter. The bird is still there. Maybe. It's getting. Do I need uh, to update my Twitter. It's slowly getting. Does yours like, say phased X? out in different places, and and bits and parts are. Uh, That's too funny. Let me. I'm gonna. Yeah, just I'm go gonna, find Elon I'm gonna, Musk. You research his it. his avatar is the new logo. So so anyways, I I saw this. You know, people saying there's no way anybody's gonna pay twenty five million dollars for a hunt. What's the highest price of the hunts that go out right now? They're only four hundred and something thousand dollars, and so I'm like, well, there was. The Utah mule deer governor's permit this year went for a record in North America, 725,000. Uh, then people were asking about um, Corey Knowlton's Nibia, Nibia Black Rhino, Nibia Black Rhino right. hunt, which was 350-ish. I couldn't find the story on that. And, and I remember following it back when it happened. Another hunter bought that tag, and I believe it was upwards of a million dollars. Then that person started getting attacked, um, the death threats, their, you know, all that sort of stuff that unfolded. And the hunter just went, it's not worth it, and gave the tag back. Yeah, he didn't buy it. And he actually it didn't buy it. it. What happened was, okay. because of the pressure mounting from animal rights, Corey reckoned that that tag would have gone for a million. There were enough people interested yeah. in doing it, it would have gone and for so, a million. But they pulled out because of the fierceness of the anti-hunting rhetoric right. that was coming right. along with it. So the, the, the conservation and biology team that was working on this population in Namibia sort of got screwed out of $700,000 potentially, you know, for, for their program. So, so there's, you know, some numbers, you know, out there for, for hunts. And so on the dollar aspect, so one of the things I quickly did a research, the number that's floating around out there for space tourism, for a full orbit flight of a private citizen around the earth, 
is currently sitting at $50 million per seat. Jeez. It costs between two and $4 billion to put an object into outer space. And if it's going to have tourists on it and you want a full orbit, as opposed to just those like William Shatner kind of like went up and like touched, you know, outer space. And then was 10 minutes later was back in those, those are whatever, half a million bucks or something. But well, so I'm like, well, if there's people out there that are got $50 million for space travel, there are people out there that would probably feel the same way after half a century. Um, to partake in a tiger hunt. It's certainly controversial. It's certainly a management tool that is not available to Nepal or India right now to manage human-wildlife conflict. And maybe even not just, you know, again, rhetoric is very important here. And, and sort of it's the same rhetoric in, with elephants in Botswana. Are you truly mm. impacting human-wildlife conflict by taking that smaller number of tigers? Could you find the man-eater yeah. and go after the man-eater? Absolutely. Happens with leopards in India all the time. But maybe you just got to think through, like, is this truly human-wildlife conflict mitigation? Or probably better rhetoric is this is sustainable utilization for the management of all species to generate budget for the Fish and Game Commission or the Fish and Game Agency in Nepal that they say this would run, this would cover our entire budget for the entire year. Oh, and the, the spin-offs for conservation could be endangered butterfly research and, you know, invasive species management and all sorts of things. That's a lot right. of money for, for those countries. Now, the question about would this be addressing human conflict? So you and I were chatting earlier, like I just finished reading Adam Hart's book. He's a scientist at Oxford University, is involved a lot in uh, the trophy hunting debate and the, and the, the UK ban. So it's called The Deadly Balance, uh, Predators and People in a Crowded World. So basically each one of the chapters is about a major predator uh, in countries or a continent that have documented cases of hunting and killing people for food. Now, I deal a lot with grizzly bears here in British Columbia, and I've always said it's a, not a matter of if, it's a matter of when um, something is going to happen <laughs> if I stay out there uh, long enough. You know, been lucky so far. And I tell you, I would deal with grizzly bears in the mountains if I had an elk down or whatever. Then lions, hey, 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 leopards, hey, hey. tigers, mm -hmm. or crocodiles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, um, so, so one of the things that I took from his book, because all of that was new to me, like that's just everything I read about, you know, that part of the world, uh, Asian and African stuff, I'm learning for the first, first time. So it's super cool. The people that have been attacked by those predators, uh, let's focus on India uh, with tigers, happens in Africa, as you know, as well, is disproportionately hitting impoverished people. And the media doesn't pick up a lot on those stories. They sensationalize the, oh, American tourist was in whatever and was attacked by a lion. But they don't tell you about the previous 
65 people in the last 24 months of locals that live there that were, that were killed and eaten by lions. Just, it's not front page news, but there's still statistics on it. And in some countries, Adam talked about, they aren't even keeping track <laughs> of people that are killed and eaten by these predators because it doesn't even matter to the government. So as a scientist, he's, he's qualifying his data going, this might not even represent people that were killed and eaten. So the, the susceptibility of impoverished people is because they have to stay alive by going into the forests uh, to collect firewood and food and, you know, and, and all the different resources that they, they need because it's not supplied to them. So they're going into, and for tigers, uh, it was like edge habitat. Uh, on the edges of the force, and these people were having to go there at times of the day uh, into the the right edge habitat to basically take the risk, collect stuff that they need to take back to their household, and the tigers were hunting (laughs) those edges and killing and dragging those people back into the forest. So they're, they're at risk, they're at highest risk, same story with crocodiles and people having to get water because they don't have pumping systems to move water. They actually got to go to the, the river's edge. But one of the parts that really hit me about that is these communities after an attack will sometimes lash out at these animals and numerous tigers might be killed, snared, injured, um, poisoned, stabbed, beaten, run down by hordes or whatever, and whether it's the right animal or not, doesn't matter. It's this, this instinct of humans to retaliate. And from a conservation perspective, that is a horrible thing to have happen is one humans killed by a tiger, uh, in India, but then they go out and, and retaliate against tigers and maybe the wrong tiger gets killed or two or three, you know, and then that becomes potential conservation issue. Where I'm going with this is one of the things that we never seem to discuss in hunting and predator management is the question of whether science supports hunting, reducing human conflict. Is hunting satisfying the minds of people in those situations that something is being done so they don't go do those retaliatory actions? It's like the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. And I I have witnessed it here in affluent British Columbia and in Canada when the grizzly bear hunt was ended. There were people that are very comfortable in their lives. They don't have to go on the forest edge, you know, to to get food for their families. There was a general attitudinal shift in rural communities towards a grizzly bear. It lost some of its value because people, even if they weren't hunters, knew that it didn't have value to be status as a game animal. And it's like, this damn grizzly bear, it's around my horses, I got a, uh, like a new foal, and yada, 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 and the whole thing of shoot, shovel, and shut up is, you know, come about, and scientists are finding their radio collars, you know, buried under, under woody debris and this sort of thing. So, so coming back to the tiger story, if, if there is an opportunity for the people to know that the government has sanctioned hunt. There's a tremendous amount of dollars can come back to community and conservation projects. And they are satisfied in their minds that they are being looked after because some hunters are out doing that. And they don't feel the need to retaliate against animals. Then I think 
This is just like the trophy hunting stuff that you talk about in Africa. We have to look at the human condition and the human mind in those situations and set aside the emotional part from us that are very well off elsewhere in the world of whether a tiger should or shouldn't be hunted and should it be $25 million. I've settled on the idea if it satisfies the minds of people that are, whose lives are actually at risk that they're being looked after, then that's the role hunting should play. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it, it's, I, I like that because I think the science and um, in that article, Mark Elbrocht, who's a big predator guy who works for Panthera, says there's no science that shows hunting solves human wildlife conflict. But placebo-wise, from a, a mindset perspective, that be, it's a very interesting point that you're putting across. And it doesn't just, you know, this is something that's happening all over the world. You mentioned grizzly bears. I got a text message yesterday. Here, you can validate. 1241 yesterday. And the text message reads, mm -hmm. that thing is dead, sir. It was a male and huge. There was nothing I could do because the old man wanted it gone there and then. What this was was a big male leopard who had taken six calves already and the village was fed up. They were like, go kill that thing. And so the villagers got together, tracked him down with dogs and killed that leopard with machetes and spears. Um, and uh, it's crazy. One of the... One of the things that Adam talks about in his book, um, he talks about, what was his first name? The famous hunter, last name was Corbett. Jim Corbett. And he, and he was, yeah. So I, he talked about two books and it was like the- Oh, you need to read Jim Corbett's books. They're freaking amazing. The, the leopard of rag, my pie young or whatever the one, and then, and then- Yeah. They're brilliant books. I don't know if I have them right here. Yeah, so I've ordered both of those because those he he mentioned them in this book. So one of the underlying common causes of these quote unquote man eaters, whether they were leopards or tigers or lions, were older animals that were malnourished, that were suffering, where more often than not the animal had shown signs of having been wounded. <laughs> a bullet in it somewhere, something broken, whatever. So that made me think it's this retaliatory action. People that may not be hunters of going out and saying, let's pitchfork and, and torch and go kill this thing and, you know, get it over with. How many of these animals are actually like being mortally or, 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 or wounded that then can't chase down, you know, deer and pigs and this sort of stuff. And then they turn out to be worse man killers and worse, um, um, you know, at, at preying on, on the people's livestock. So this is where Jim Corbett came in. It was like a hunter who wasn't like really good at tracking down and killing of the right animals. So, and again, this is where I believe like, you know, a professional guide and a trained hunter can go in under very controlled circumstances and not have wounded animals that cause more problem rather than allowing the people themselves to take it into their hands. So, Oh, I guarantee you, someone says that there's a man-eating, identified, established, verified man-eating leopard in India. 
who wants to buy the tag for the leopard, that would generate half a million, two million bucks, just like that. And you got 48 hours. Yeah, get, get over there in 48 here. hours. Of course, these guys have private jets and whatnot, so it wouldn't be a problem. It'd be going, gone. Yep. Yep. Anyway. I, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating discussion. Um, and, and like you said, it is, it is getting very controversial all of a sudden. People in the non-hunting community have always got wound up over the dollar value that's paid for these governor permits or for guided hunts and these sorts of things. And you know, and they paint it as a bad thing. Like it's starting $25 million for, you know, uh, a tiger, you know, then I saw one tweet that was, that was like, well, then this is just going to put pressure on the Indian government. And like, there's a lot of money. And then pretty soon they're going to let out more tags, more tags. And then the hunt's going to be unsustainable and damaging to the, to the population. So that's too much money. And I'm like, if someone wants to pay $25 million, like, and there's no corruption, you know, attached to where that money goes, let them pay that much money for it. To me, that's better than saying, you know, high bid 1500 bucks, go get a tiger after 50 years of no hunting. I'm like, no, let them pay exactly. more. To me, that's a good thing. Yep. hundred percent. But so many see that as a bad thing. Oh, they paid $50,000 for this. I'm like, good for them. <laughs> yep. I can't afford that, but it's like, it's good for wildlife. Yep. hundred percent. Well, Mark Hall, thank you, man. I can't wait for tomorrow. Blood Origins Canada is official tomorrow. Um, I guess just type in Blood Origins Canada into Instagram or Facebook and uh, you'll find us. Find Mark. Mario's. So you'll... You know, if you're already following us on the Hunter Conservationist, uh, it will become Blood Origins Canada. So you're just going to see a change in things as opposed to going out and looking for a brand new That's right. Instagram account with zero posts and zero followers. No, exactly. Exactly right. Um, so yeah, we're excited. And again, if you feel like you need to text message us, with a question, you want us to answer a question, you want Mark and Blood Origins Canada to ask, answer a question, uh, feel free to text us at 620-860-4804. Feel free again to text Cody and let him know how you miss him, you love him, and that you want him back on the roundup. Um, so part of the crew, Mark, thank part you. of the ship. Part of the crew. Get back on <laughs> it. Come on, Cody. Cheers, Mark. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.